I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Dietary supplements are big business. Many Americans swallow a handful of pills every day. Do they interact? This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. People take a range of herbs and supplements, from turmeric and melatonin to vitamin D and zinc. Do any of these have an effect on medicines we may be taking? We first heard how grapefruit juice could alter drug metabolism back in the early 1990s. Most health professionals were skeptical, but it turns out that plants can affect how our bodies react to medications. How do physicians and pharmacists learn about incompatibilities between medicines and natural products? Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, avoiding dangerous herb and drug interactions. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, long COVID has become a common complication of SARS-CoV-2 infection. Debilitating symptoms may linger for months or years. Doctors refer to this condition as post-acute sequelae of SARS-CoV-2 infection. Researchers have had trouble studying it because they needed a uniform definition. Some have counted more than 200 possible symptoms of long COVID. A study published in JAMA offers a more manageable list with a strong connection to long COVID. Investigators recruited 9,764 people, most of whom had been previously diagnosed with COVID. Those with long COVID were much more likely to report one of the following symptoms. Post-exertional malaise, fatigue, dizziness, brain fog, and gastrointestinal problems. Post-exertional malaise refers to worsening symptoms following even minor physical or mental exertion. In total, 12 symptoms were significantly more common among those with long COVID. Overall, approximately 23% of the participants who had experienced infection were identified as having long COVID. When patients are hospitalized, it's common for them to have their blood pressure monitored. That's primarily to detect bouts of hypotension. If blood pressure drops too low, it could signal low fluid volume, sepsis, or internal bleeding. Not infrequently, though, such monitoring detects elevated blood pressure. After all, hospitalization can be a stressful experience. But should such hypertension be treated aggressively? A study of more than 66,000 older people treated in VA hospitals showed that patients receiving intensive treatment for hypertension were more likely to experience heart or kidney problems or to need transfer to the intensive care unit. The authors conclude that physicians should not automatically treat elevated blood pressure in hospitalized older patients unless there's a compelling reason to do so. How does diet affect cognitive function? A new study published in the journal Alzheimer's and Dementia suggests that a modified Mediterranean ketogenic diet might be more helpful than a low-fat American Heart Association-type diet. The researchers recruited 20 older people, nine of whom had mild cognitive impairment. 
The investigators randomly assigned these volunteers to follow one of these diets for six weeks. There was then a six-week washout period, and following that, another six weeks on the alternative diet. During the study, researchers examined stool samples and other biomarkers. The study was too small to generalize to all people with cognitive impairment. However, changes in the gut microbes indicate that a modified Mediterranean ketogenic diet could be more helpful than a low-fat diet. Proton pump inhibitors, or PPIs, are the most popular heartburn medicines in the pharmacy. The FDA approved over-the-counter use of drugs such as omeprazole, lansoprazole, and esomeprazole because they were perceived as extremely safe. But in recent years, PPIs have been linked to a number of serious complications. A new study of nearly 20,000 patients with type 2 diabetes reports that those using proton pump inhibitors for years were more likely to develop cardiovascular disease or die during the 11-year follow-up. The authors speculate that powerful acid-suppressing drugs may alter gut bacteria, decrease microbial diversity, and promote inflammation. Drug shortages have been a problem in the United States for more than a decade. Of all the medications doctors prescribe, cancer drugs are among the most critical. Shortages can interfere with effective therapy. In its most recent summary, the FDA reports inadequate supplies of 14 different cancer medications. According to FDA Commissioner Dr. Robert Califf, the oncology shortage is especially critical. I'm a former intensivist doctor, and I'm very aware of the consequences if you can't get needed chemotherapy. As a result of these shortfalls, doctors are rationing doses and turning to less effective alternatives. Neither the FDA nor Congress appears to have any solutions to this long-running problem. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. Americans take a smorgasbord of dietary supplements, along with their over-the-counter and prescription medications. Do all those different pills work together in harmony, or are they battling each other in your body? Interactions between drugs and natural products are understudied, but they can be problematic. What should you know about how herbs interact with your medications? To help us better understand how to prevent interaction problems, we'll be talking with Dr. Tarone Lodog later in the show. But first, we turn to Dr. Craig Hopp. He is Deputy Director of the Division of Extramural Research at the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. Dr. Hopp uses his expertise and experience in the field of natural products to help shape research priorities at that center. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Craig Hopp. Thank you for having me. Dr. Hopp, your position is with the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. Can you tell us just briefly, what is that organization? Sure. We are one of the institutes and centers that make up the National Institutes of Health. We are one of the smaller parts of NIH. The National Center for Complementary Integrative Health was um, created in 1999. Um, at that time, we were the Nas National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. 
our name changed in 2014 to the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. And as our name suggests, um, we provide funds for investigators to do research on interventions, products, modalities, treatments that are, as we say, outside the mainstream of Western medicine, at least. These things might be very much mainstream in other parts of the world, but at least within the Western system of medicine, they're not very well understood, studied, or part of conventional care. And obviously, as our name now reflects integrative health, um, we're very interested in, in studying how these can be part of the normal course of care. Uh, we hear a lot these days, some of the things we study are things like dietary supplements and other natural products, probiotics, um, yoga, tai chi. Um, and again, we're trying to provide the evidence base that's going to allow people to make informed choices about whether or not they want to incorporate some of these practices into their normal healthcare routines. Well, here's one of the problems, Dr. Hopp. Most, and I won't say all, but most Western-trained physicians and pharmacists, you know, they, they go to, you know, the standard university, the standard treatment programs. They're not taught about mm -hmm. alternative or complementary medicine, and they're not taught very much about herbs. And that's what we'd really like to talk to you about because an awful lot of our listeners and an awful lot of Americans and Germans and people in France and people in Portugal, they're taking herbs and dietary supplements. Mm -hmm. And yet there are interactions with those natural products with medicines. Mm -hmm. We first learned about, well, I won't say we first learned about it, but one example was grapefruit or grapefruit mm -hmm. juice and how it interacts with literally scores of medications, including very popular ones like atorvastatin or simvastatin. So can you tell us a little bit about herb drug interactions? Yes, I definitely can. It's uh, one of my favorite topics, actually. So, so there was an individual doing a study on alcohol, and he wanted to find something that was basically a mixer that people wouldn't be able to taste the alcohol. Uh, so he used grapefruit juice, basically, to mask the taste of the alcohol that they were using. And I, I apologize, I forget exactly what the study was originally intended to, to, to look for. Yes. Philodipine. Uh, yes. The, the brand name yes. was Procardia. It was a blood pressure pill. Yes. And so when the, did, they want to know, did alcohol interact with the philodipine? Um, so they, were, didn't, they want people to know which one they were on. So they put the grapefruit juice in there. Um, and that made the philodipine levels go all over the place. Um, largely, it made them go up because the, one of the constituents in grapefruit juice inhibits the enzyme that metabolizes the drug. And so that means that the drug does not get cleared as you expect it would. Instead, it sticks around in the body and it accumulates in the body because the, the enzyme that's responsible for clearing it from the body has been blocked by this component of grapefruit juice. Um, and so that's why lots of times you will see on TV shows, obviously they have commercials now for drugs and they'll say, tell your doctor if you're taking grapefruit juice or don't take with grapefruit juice. Or there's be labels, you know, on the, on the printed label, they'll talk about grapefruit juice because it's such a well-known now example um, of an herb drug interaction that actually has a very significant effect. I mean, it, it completely shuts down the activity of that enzyme. So it really can cause your drug levels to double or even triple 
what they would ordinarily be. And obviously this can have major ramifications for the toxicity or safety profile of those drugs that you might be taking. And it was really kind of a a wake-up call that botanical products might really have an impact. When you started with the story, Joe suggested that the brand name of this drug was Procardia, but I think he was mistaken. I believe it was Plendil. I think you're right. But I think Procardia is also affected affected. by grapefruit juice. And, you know, this brings up the whole topic of how these interactions can be quite profound. Yes. And I think now most physicians and pharmacists are are aware of the grapefruit juice interaction because it it has gotten so much publicity. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of other herbs like St. John's wort or turmeric, yes. or even something as simple as black licorice mm-hmm. that can interact with medications. Yeah, and St. John's wort is the other one that I think people became aware of them you know, in the mid-90s time frame. And the St. John's wort one was very significant, but in the opposite direction, actually, of grapefruit juice. So whereas grapefruit juice inhibits that enzyme, St. John's wort actually speeds it up. And the consequence there is that you get lower levels of the drug in your system. So they lose efficacy. And that's, you know, one with the grapefruit juice, you're worried about some toxicity issues. With St. John's wort, you're worried about the drugs they're supposed to control, you know, your immune system, birth control. I mean, I, there was lots of St. John's wort babies. I, I, you know, back in the 90s, people were taking this and it makes your birth control lose effect- effectiveness. There were, unfortunately, examples where people were taking immunosuppressants because they were organ transplant recipients. And taking, once they started taking St. John's wort, you know, they, those levels of immunosuppressants, the drugs they were taking dropped and they went into organ rejection. There were, I think, one or two fatalities associated with this. So very, very tragic, you know, consequences potentially for taking St. John's wort, which is why I think um, physicians nowadays are very, I think, pretty familiar with St. John's wort and probably are advising their patients accordingly. But there are a whole other host of things, I guess, or a tear down, if you will, of St. John's wort and grapefruit juice, some of which you mentioned about, um, you know, ginkgo and turmeric and other things that uh, don't act as potently to either induce or inhibit those enzymes, but do so enough that they might influence, you know, the quality of life, especially if you're taking them along with things that we call have a narrow therapeutic index. So things like warfarin um, has a very narrow therapeutic index um, and it's a blood thinner. So obviously ginkgo has been, has been associated with bleeding episodes with warfarin. So anytime you're taking warfarin, you have to be very, very careful because it's a very narrow range. You have to keep that in to have it maintain the effect that you want it to have. Dr. Hopp, what should people do if they are taking dietary supplements or herbs? I mean, maybe they're taking coenzyme Q10 because they're on a statin and they've heard that maybe statins can deplete the body of CoQ10. Or maybe they're using something like ginger or something like cinnamon to help control blood sugar. And, and, and they want to know if there's a problem, an interaction with some of the medications that they may be taking. Should they be asking their doctor? Should they be asking their pharmacist? And, 
how well prepared are those health professionals to answer such questions? That's a great question. And, and you know, my sense is I'm not a physician. I, I, I have a PhD, but I've never practiced medicine. But I, my sense is that doctors have very little time in their interactions with patients to really inform themselves about what the evidence base is for any particular supplement. Um, I think that they, much of the literature in my estimation is, uh, I think, overly cautious. So they'll they'll say, well, there's a potential for an interaction because there was this one paper that showed this in cells. You know, it wasn't even in animals. It wasn't even in humans. They did this in a, in a Petri dish and found these two things seem like they might interact. But that doesn't, that's a very, very, very poor predictor about whether or not this might actually happen in a human. Um, so I think many physicians just go, well, don't do it. You know, just, just eliminate all supplements. That way I don't have to worry about it. Because again, they're not... It's not their field, um, and the, the, the literature is difficult, and especially because supplements, you know, there's so many different versions of these things. But the point is that, you know, the consumers that want to take these things, they should still be informing their doctor. They should still be asking their pharmacist who, you know, might, maybe they have, again, if there's something like St. John's wort or grapefruit juice, there's a lot of people to know about it. Um, the other place they can go is NCCIH's website. We do have fact sheets for many of these dietary supplements and botanicals and herbal products. And we usually include in there, you know, what the evidence base is for any interactions that might be with other products. There are also websites people can go to. One, the main one that people most often turn to is a natural medicines comprehensive database, uh, which I think does a reasonable job of giving, you know, green, yellow, red sort of uh, color codings of the likelihood or the strength of the evidence for any particular interaction. Dr. Craig Hopp, thanks so much for talking with us on the Peebles Pharmacy today. Oh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Dr. Craig Hopp, Deputy Director of the Division of Extramural Research at the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. Dr. Hopp has promoted research on interactions between drugs and natural products. After the break, we'll talk with Dr. Terene Lodog about interactions between herbs and drugs. What dangerous interactions should we be most aware of? Some interactions, like the ones with St. John's Wort, are pretty well documented. Others, like turmeric and warfarin, don't show up that much in the medical literature. How could doctors and pharmacists learn about herb-drug interactions? Sometimes patients are afraid to tell their doctor that they're taking herbs. That could be risky. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory and Focus is a unique formula made with a blend of ingredients that work together to promote attention and long-term memory. It supports five areas of brain performance in one capsule. 
More information available at cocovia.com. The People's Pharmacy is also supported by Gaia Herbs, focused on purity, potency, and transparency through its Meet Your Herbs platform, tracing the origin and DNA of each product, connecting people, plants, and planet to create healing. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, herbs.com. We turn now to an old friend of the People's Pharmacy. She's one of the country's leading experts on the scientific research behind herbs and other natural products, and she'll talk about interactions. Dr. Tarone Lodog is a founding member of the American Board of Physician Specialties, American Board of Integrative Medicine, and the Academy of Women's Health. She was elected chair of the U.S. Pharmacopeia Dietary Supplements Botanicals Expert Committee and was appointed to the Scientific Advisory Council for the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. Her books include Women's Health in Complementary and Integrative Medicine, Life is Your Best Medicine, and Fortify Your Life, Your Guide to Vitamins, Minerals, and More. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Tyrone Lodog. Hello, thank you. It's so nice to be with you. Dr. Lodog, we've just been talking with Dr. Craig Hopp. He is Deputy Director of the Division of Extramural Research at the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. And we were talking with him about uh, some herbs and drugs that might have interactions. We want to explore that further with you. Well, Dr. Lodog, we had the opportunity to attend a trade show on the West Coast called Expo West. It was enormous. There were thousands of people, so many people, it was just mind-boggling. And so clearly, millions of Americans are taking herbs, dietary supplements every day. It's a big business. And, and I suspect that many healthcare providers aren't aware of what's happening, or if they are, they kind of are, you know, a little dismissive, like, don't do that. But it's very clear that Americans have embraced herbs and dietary supplements. And so this idea of interactions is a little confusing, both to healthcare providers, physicians, nurses, pharmacy students, and you've trained many of them, but what what should we be telling people when their healthcare provider just is clueless about the benefits and risks of such supplements? Well, I, first I would just say, as a physician, a lot of my work has been in training doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners and pharmacists, because there is very little training in the use of supplements and also you know, many of these clinicians only have 15 minutes for an appointment, which is very little time for counseling. Labels on many of these supplements are difficult to read and interpret. The dosing on them, you know, varies considerably. And then, of course, we come to concerns of quality and concerns over safety uh, and potential drug interactions. So, unfortunately, at this time, the, the average consumer is going to have to do a lot of their own homework. They're going to have to do reading and they're going to have to go to reputable websites and and authoritative um, kinds of resources to be able to discern, you know, which supplements appear to be safe for them, which ones can be effective, and also 
the, the more medications they are taking, the more cautious they have to be about um, starting, you know, uh, starting a lot of supplements outside of, you know, just like a multivitamin. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping that's changing, but, you know, there are, there are like 40,000 different dietary supplement products in the marketplace. And that's just too much for anybody to know. Imagine a pharmacist having to know 45,000 different prescriptions and OTC medications and how they interact. Um, it's, it's just an enormous undertaking. Um, the good news is that we don't actually see as many interactions or adverse effects as you would anticipate uh, given how many people take dietary supplements, almost 60% of the population. Now, are there some interactions that we do see that we should keep top of mind because they might be dangerous? Well, there are. I mean, uh, I mean, I, most people I think are aware of today things like St. John's wort. Um, it was one of the first uh, that, you know, I remember this so clearly because it made the cover of Time magazine back in the 1990s that there was an herb that was as effective uh, as prescription antidepressants for treating, you know, mild to moderate depression. And, and that just astounded people that this herb could be so effective. And then it also made the cover a few years later when it was found that it interacted with a number of medications, but particularly uh, dangerous was that it interacted with medications that people who'd had transplants, like heart transplants, kidney transplants, the medications they took um, to prevent the, the, their bodies from rejecting the transplant interacted with St. John's wort, and some of them actually, the transplant was lost. I mean, that they, they rejected the transplanted organ. So that really raised the awareness that, like many things, there can be interactions. So St. John's wort sort of was the prototype for this. But we know uh, golden seal, berberine. Berberine is a very popular supplement right now being used for metabolic syndrome and uh, cardiovascular health. And a lot of people are taking it, and it interacts with a wide array of medications, probably more than St. John's wort, probably 60 to you know 70% of them. Um, milk thistle, which is commonly used for, for liver health and for uh, blood sugar control and some other things that people take it for, it can interact with some medications. So we have to be thoughtful about that. Um, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's an array of them that when we, when we start looking at them that we have to be cautious about. And the problem with drug interactions, if we're going to be just really honest, is that we've only got human data for maybe 25, 30 of the many botanicals that are out there. And what I mean by that is a lot of the studies are what we call preclinical, meaning that these are in vitro studies, they're cell studies, and they are not very predictive. They tend to overpredict how many interactions we'll see. The FDA, actually, when we're looking at drug interactions, requires you know, uh, human studies that include probe drugs that, that use a particular pathway that the drug is metabolized through. And we've only, you know, we've only got that for a handful of herbs. You know, we, we used to think ginseng interacted with a lot of things, and now we find that really it does not. Uh, we thought ginkgo interacted with many different drug metabolizing enzymes, and we know now that it does not. So um, that's the, the other difficulty that we have is that if you start looking, you're going to find that every herb interacts with just about everything, but that's 
that's not really the case when we look at them um, using what the FDA would consider the, the gold standard for looking at an interaction. Well, we don't have very many of those gold standard uh, trials. And what we have instead are anecdotes. And then, for example, Joe and I have heard from a number of people who have reported that they have had an interaction between turmeric and their anticoagulant, particularly warfarin seems to be well, uh, a, a, a medication. <laughs> it, it interacts with a lot of other it drugs, sure so does. it's not surprising people, it would interact well, with you a, know, If you're taking an anticoagulant, particularly warfarin, but you have to be careful with Plavix and some of the others as well. They're not as finicky as warfarin, but you know, I tell patients, look, if you take warfarin, you, you know, even changing your diet can interact with warfarin, change your, your status of how well you're anticoagulated. I just tell patients, look, if you're going to start taking any supplement and you're on warfarin, you need to do that with me. And I tell any consumer, you need to, you need to partner with your prescriber so that you can go in in 10 days, 14 days, and you can actually have your PT and INR. You can have your blood test to see if this is interacting with your warfarin. In some cases, we can adjust the warfarin dose if this is something you're going to take because it's really benefiting you. We adjust your dose of, of Coumadin or warfarin. But I, I would say of all the interactions I see, that's the biggest one. That's the, that is hands down the biggest one. Uh, and you do have to be careful. Um, turmeric, and it's not just turmeric, it's that turmeric is often combined with black pepper and the alkaloid piperine from black pepper to enhance its absorption. The problem is that that black pepper alkaloid also enhances the absorption of many other drugs that are taken at the same time as you're taking your turmeric. So it interacts with many things, which can interfere because you may be getting a much bigger dose than you were used to taking, um, which can cause a lot of problems. So um, this is what I mean. The, there are some things. Black pepper is one that you have to be careful with. We don't typically see interactions under 20 milligrams per day, um, but a lot of these products, people are taking 30, 40, and 50, and you definitely see that. There was a study looking at tamoxifen with turmeric alone and turmeric with piperine, with the black pepper, and definitely showed more of the interaction when you added the black pepper. So, uh, you know, be thoughtful around these things. Any drug, any drug that has what we call a narrow therapeutic window, meaning that that drug is very important for your health. And if you don't have enough of it, something bad can happen. If you get too much, it can be toxic or harmful. Any medications which are anticoagulants, which are seizure medications, um, some of the more potent anti-psychotics um, um, or uh, psychiatric medications, these you have to be very careful with and always engage your prescriber or talk to your pharmacist. The pharmacist plays such a pivotal role in our communities and, and oftentimes they are more helpful to the patient, to the consumer uh, than the doctor who has like 10 or 15 minutes and, and doesn't have a computer right in front of them. 
The pharmacist often is connected to many uh, herb drug and drug drug interaction checkers, and they would be able to counsel you often more effectively than your doctor. Well, you mentioned tamoxifen, which is a medication, an oral medication that's often prescribed to women who have had breast cancer. And so it's a really important drug that you have to be careful about interactions with. I think it's important as well to recognize that many healthcare professionals don't know where to turn. And that may be your physician, it may be the nurse, and in some cases, even the pharmacist, because the the databases may not be complete, up to date. And so I guess the question I'm asking is, you pointed out a little earlier that patients have to be very vigilant, they have to be really active, and ask their healthcare professionals to check for these kinds of interactions. But is there any database, any place people can go? Where, where do you go when you want to find out about an herb drug interaction? Well, I use the natural medicines database. I believe at this time, it is the most rigorous and up-to-date. Um, many physicians have access to this um, through their hospital, nurses as well. Uh, many hospitals have this database. Many academic centers have it, so physicians that are affiliated with a, a university or a, you know, a medical school institution. It has an interaction uh, checker on there. And, so, and, and the nice thing about it is that when you put in all of the drugs, so you put in every drug, you know, the four drugs the patient's taking, and then you put in the three herbs and the two vitamins, you put all of it in there. And then it will go through and check for every interaction. And then it ranks the risk. Red means that the risk is, even if it's not done in a human study, the risk could potentially be so harmful that it should be avoided. Then it has yellow, be cautious, and green, meaning it's mostly theoretical and probably not clinically relevant. So I I like the natural uh, medicines database. It's the one that I use. I think uh, it is the most rigorous of all of them. But there are many that, you know, consumers can use too. You know, WebMD has got a lot of interactions. Uh, Drugs.com, you can put in your medications and you can put in your herbs and, you know, it'll it'll um, pull those up. So there are drug interaction checkers that are available um, that would at least give you some guidance. You could look at it and it's like, oh, gee, you know, I, maybe I should talk to somebody because it's showing that that's an interaction that could be, you know, problematic, right? So, you know, I, I do your homework, you know. Right. Now, here's the question, Taroni, and that is, there are a lot of our listeners who are taking herbs and or dietary supplements or both. And they're afraid to tell their healthcare provider that they're taking turmeric or they're taking St. John's wort or they're taking ginkgo or they're taking berberine, whatever it may be, because they're afraid maybe the doctor will look down their nose or criticize them or wag their finger. Why is that risky business? Well, that just always makes my heart so sad when I hear that. Um, truly, it does. We're not, you know, I'm a physician, so I'm not really a healthcare provider. I'm a healthcare partner. And my job and my oath is to really come alongside my patient and work with them based on their beliefs, their health goals, their values, 
and and partner with them on their journey towards health. Um, and and so if a physician, you know, is mocks you or you know or takes that tone with you, you know, I hate to say it, but you need a different doctor. I mean, that's that's inexcusable. You should be able to talk to your doctor about everything, the most intimate parts of yourself. We ask, we ask so many questions, your bowel movements, your sex life, you know, your mood, your suicide ideation. We ask you everything. So to not be able to have a conversation, you know, talk to your, your healthcare partner, wherever that is, a nurse practitioner, a physician, PA, and say to them, I would like to use things that I consider you know, maybe more natural to help me promote my health and well-being. And I'm interested in taking this. And I'd like to know what you think about that. I'd also like to know if there's any concerns about interactions with the medications that I'm taking. Um, a lot of these herbs have more evidence than people realize. Many of these supplements have more evidence than people realize or professionals realize. And, you know, Americans are looking for ways to improve their health. We want more energy. We want to sleep better. We want to help our, with our stress. And many of these supplements can help as part of a healthy lifestyle. So I would say be honest with your, your, your practitioner, your healthcare partner, and tell them why you want to use it and, and just be specific about what you want to know. You don't need their permission you would like their opinion and you would like their guidance as far as safety. You're listening to Dr. Tirone Lodog, founding member of the American Board of Integrative Medicine, the Academy of Women's Health, and the American Board of Physician Specialties. Dr. Lodog was elected chair of the U.S. Pharmacopoeia Dietary Supplements Botanicals Expert Committee. She's author of Life is Your Best Medicine and Fortify Your Life. After the break, find out about drug and nutrient interactions. Blood pressure pills like ACE inhibitors and ARBs can interact with minerals like zinc. Why is zinc so important? Based on new guidelines, half of all Americans have hypertension. They could be taking medicines that interact with herbs. We'll get the lowdown on grapefruit and green tea. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, CocoPro Cocoa Extract. With the proven power of cocoa flavanols, Cocovia supplements support blood flow from head to toe. This National Physical Fitness and Sports Month Give your heart and brain 100% and support a healthy you with the most proven Flavanol Bioactive. Get 20% off your Cocovia order from May 8th through May 22nd using the discount code FITNESSPOD at Cocovia.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. 
Cocovia Memory Plus is formulated with 750 milligrams of cocoflavanols, a level clinically proven to improve three different types of memory and support brain function. More information at cocovia.com. And by Gaia Herbs. Their formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial. Connecting people, plants, and planet to create healing. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, herbs.com. We've been talking about herb-drug interactions, but many popular medications can affect the levels of key vitamins and minerals. What should we know about drug-nutrient interactions? To learn more about this critical topic, we are talking with Dr. Tyrone Lodog. She was elected chair of the U.S. Pharmacopoeia Dietary Supplements Botanicals Expert Committee and was appointed to the Scientific Advisory Council for the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. Her books include Life is Your Best Medicine and Fortify Your Life, Your Guide to Vitamins, Minerals, and More. Her website is drlowdog.com. She also provides a wealth of information at medicinelodgeranch.com. Dr. Lowdog, you have written an amazing book about the vitamins and minerals and nutrients that we all need and why. And in the back of that book, you have this amazing table in which you describe how the pharmaceuticals we take the blood pressure pills, the antidepressants, you know, all of the drugs that are taken by so many tens of millions of people can interact with the nutrients that we need. For example, it astonishes me that the what we call the ACEs or the ARBs, angiotensin-converting enzymes, angiotensin receptor blockers, these are drugs like lisinopril and valsartan and losartan, how they can affect nutrients like zinc. I mean, nobody ever thinks about zinc. And, and first of all, why is zinc important? And, and why should we be paying attention to getting the a right amount and not too much because it impacts copper if we take too much? It's all so complicated. Help. <laughs> well, which is why eating a whole foods, wholesome diet is uh, so important um, for all of us to get you know the nutrients that we need. But understanding that many of us, we fall short, we have gaps, and many of many of us are taking prescription medications and even some over-the-counter medications which can deplete particular nutrients. So when you're talking about some of these um, these ACE inhibitors and the ARBs, these are used um, primarily for blood pressure. Um, patients are taking these for blood pressure as well as, you know, our diabetics and some other instances. But they uh, they just wipe out zinc and can do so in a relatively short period of time. Now, who, what age group is typically taking these? People, as they age, tend to have more problems with blood pressure. So just when we look at the population, people over 50 are often taking more of these medications. And, and Dr. Lodog, I have to tell you that according to the American College of Cardiology, half of all Americans have hypertension based on the new guidelines. So right. we're talking tens of millions of people, many of our listeners. It just It's just, you know, and then, you know, and we may use thiazides or other diuretics, which have their own problems. But if we stick with just these, 
Zinc is so crucial for our well-being. You need it for the healing of wounds. You need it for the the use of enzymes throughout the body. Um, You need it for uh, a healthy immune response. And the reason I mentioned older individuals, which, you know, that keeps moving as I get older. (laughs) I keep moving where is older. But um, those of us, as we get older, uh, uh, we have less zinc. This was particularly driven home during the COVID uh, pandemic when we saw how many people were affected in nursing homes, assisted living environments, and older Americans. And when we looked at zinc in older individuals, we found many of them, even those taking a multivitamin with seven to eight milligrams of zinc in it, were still deficient even after a year. So we can't afford to have a deficient amount of zinc in our body. We need it. We need it. It's crucial for wound healing and for healing in general and for a healthy immune response. Now, you did mention we don't want to get too much zinc, and, and, and that we do see as a problem when you take more than 50 milligrams over a prolonged period of time. Um, and we don't want to interfere with copper because it's also an essential, um, essential mineral uh, that is necessary in the body. But let me say this. Most people, if they would just take anywhere from 15 to 20 milligrams of zinc, you know, uh, uh, per day, uh, especially if they're taking these medications, they will probably be just fine. You don't need super high amounts, but you probably need more than the seven or eight milligrams that we were seeing in multivitamins that didn't correct a low zinc. Um, People who had zinc corrected, who were deficient in these nursing home studies, we did see they had less pneumonia less upper respiratory tract infections, uh, lower use of antibiotics, and lower hospitalizations. So zinc is crucial. And and this is just one of the nutrients. Another one, if you're talking about, you know, people with blood pressure problems, we often use thiazide diuretics. And, you know, these are interesting because a lot of doctors like them because they they help you retain calcium. So maybe you're a 60-year-old woman and we want you to retain calcium for your bones, except they wipe out potassium, which people look for, but they also wipe out magnesium. Magnesium is crucially important for your heart, for heart rhythm, for muscle contraction, relaxation. I mean, so we don't want you to lose magnesium. And when Patients come in and they're on diuretics. We almost always check potassium, but not magnesium or thiamine. Thiamine is uh, another one that's crucial um, for carbohydrate metabolism and for insulin regulation. And thiazides also deplete that. So it's just an array uh, and thiazides wipe out zinc. Um, So there's just an array of these. This is why I put those charts back in the back of the uh, Fortify Your Life book, because I wanted people to have a quick reference to look at what drugs are you taking that might be causing a nutrient depletion that you should be talking to your provider about um, or should be making sure that you're taking a supplement alongside. Metformin is a big one. You know that. Metformin, you know, does only takes a few years before you can, you know, deplete the vitamin B12. That's a real problem in diabetics because when we're when you take metformin within 3 to 4 years you will deplete the B12 that you sort of have stored in your liver and if your vitamin B12 becomes low even if you're not frankly deficient you just become borderline low 
it can speed the progression of the neuropathy that diabetes can cause, meaning more problems with your nerves and nerve damage. So this is not something we want to miss. And I, I'm just really honest. I know I missed a lot of this earlier in my career. I did not know about metformin and B12. And you would have patients coming in and they'd begin to be having some neuropathy in their feet. And we would just put them on another medication. We would give them, you know, Neurontin or you know gabapentin, we would put them on something for their neuropathy, and and by the time you begin to see B12 deficiency on a CBC on a blood test that we do, the B12 is pretty uh, deficiency is pretty advanced. So you know I tell patients if you're on metformin, you should just be taking a good multivitamin that's got adequate B12, probably you know a, a, a hundred to two hundred fifty micrograms per day, and you should ask your healthcare provider to check once a year just your B12 to make sure that you are are having adequate amounts and not deficient. You know, it's so important to get those tests. And, and as you point out, doctors don't routinely order a B12 test for everybody who's on metformin. And, um, and they don't always re- require a magnesium test for people who are taking diuretics. And let's not forget PPIs, proton pump inhibitors for heartburn are now available over the counter. And so people are taking these, you know, almost like candy because they work so effectively to control symptoms. But PPIs can have a profound effect on magnesium. So all of this information, it's impossible to keep it in your head, but it's all there in Fortify Your Life. Dr. Lodog's book your guide to vitamins, minerals, and more. Now, Terry, you you came running down the stairs, and we tell this story frequently, many decades ago to talk about grapefruit. Grapefruit. And we're still talking about grapefruit. Actually, yeah. uh, Dr. Lodog, we, we, we got an email not very long ago from a person who lives in Florida who said, did you really write that grapefruit improves the blood pressure lowering effects of beet juice and can i can i actually take can i eat grapefruit can i drink grapefruit juice or will the health police come after me so people have had this idea that you can't eat grapefruit and you know we had to answer the only thing that would hold you up from eating grapefruit would be if you are taking a medication that interacts with it and even then you may be able to talk with your healthcare partner and see if the dose could be adjusted talk with us a little bit about grapefruit please because as joe says this was one of our first light bulb moments where we said oh yes the body doesn't really sort, you know, medicines into one channel and natural things like food into another channel, we use the same enzymes and and other tools to deal with all of them. Yeah. So just like St. John's work can lower the level of some medications in your blood, grapefruit, grapefruit grapefruit juice works on exactly that same enzyme system but it increases levels of the medications in the blood, right? So they're working on the same thing. St. John's Wort lowers them and grapefruit can increase them. Now, it really depends upon, you know, the medication you're taking and how much grapefruit you're consuming. Um, 
but but when you know the juice is going to have more effect than the fruit right because it's more concentrated and people drink a whole glass of it the only time i've ever really seen um interactions and i and i did i did see a frank interaction was i had i had a patient on a, a blood pressure medication called nifedipine and they had gone, uh, I saw them in the urgent care actually, and they were passing out. Their blood pressure was incredibly low. And the only thing that they had done different, I didn't mean to laugh right then, but they had started on something called the grapefruit diet. Mm-hmm. And this was a number of years ago. And uh, it encouraged basically that you just consume lots of grapefruit juice and grapefruit for a period of like 14 days um, to lose weight as like a diuretic kind of effect. and. What had happened was that it was just so much grapefruit that it was allowing more of this medication, you know, like Procardia, into the bloodstream, and it was causing an exaggerated blood pressure lowering effect. Um, so it can it can happen, but people shouldn't, you know, people shouldn't be afraid to have a, you know, have a eat a grapefruit, you know, especially if they enjoy having grapefruit for breakfast now and then. And I would tell you that it's more of a problem when people are consuming larger quantities of grapefruit juice. Um, that's typically where we see more of the issues. But it does, you know, they can just like St. John's work can interact um, with these medications. So so can some of these for you know medications that are for you know abnormal heart rhythms and blood pressure and cholesterol. And just like I mentioned, uh, those that are for organ transplant rejection to prevent that, uh, those can interact with them. A few anti-anxiety medications, but, you know, you can talk to your your healthcare professional or pharmacist, but I wouldn't over worry about this if you're having grapefruit juice occasionally or or if you're having grapefruit. Um, But yeah. So grapefruit or grapefruit juice once in a while in moderate quantities probably not a problem. You just mentioned that, of course, the grapefruit juice is more concentrated than the grapefruit itself. And I think we want to point out that the more concentrated things that you might be taking because you've heard they're good for you could also be kind of a problem. For example, green tea concentrate. Tell me about that, please. Yeah. So we actually published on this. Uh, I was one of the authors. We did a review on the safety of green tea extracts. Now, I'm not talking about green tea um, tea, but you're just making it and drinking the tea. We started concentrating, companies started concentrating these extracts and concentrating um, this group of compounds that we call um, EGCG. And these catechins or these compounds, when they're very concentrated in these extracts, they can have a profound effect on the liver in a not in a not a good way, and we saw this with adverse events um, being reported um, through the United States Pharmacopeia, where I've chaired the panel that reviews safety there for more than twenty years, and we started seeing more and more of these reports. But then there was a study done in Minnesota through the university there in women and even in healthy women. There was a subset of them who were taking the green tea extracts uh, and developed abnormal liver enzymes um, and that they returned to normal when they went off the green tea. And when they started it again, the liver enzymes were abnormal. So, you know, green tea is absolutely fine for you to drink. 
but these very concentrated extracts that are mostly designed for people who are trying to lose weight or use it for energy, they can cause problems with the liver, especially if they're taken on an empty stomach. Interestingly, in um, animal studies, we have found that when the animal is fed and then given the extract, the liver um, doesn't seem to have a problem with it. The problem seems to occur predominantly when these extracts, these concentrated extracts, are taken on an empty stomach. That would be often because many people that are using these are taking them for weight loss. So by definition, they're probably eating less and taking these extracts not with a full meal. So, you know, (laughs) because drinking green tea is safe, you can't extrapolate that taking very concentrated extracts have the same safety profile. That is important to remember. And I think that uh, we will just remind everybody that it makes sense to understand what it is you're taking, why you're taking it, and what else you are taking it might be interacting with. And to ask your health professional to check for interactions. Dr. Tirone Lodog, thank you so much for talking with us on the People's Pharmacy today. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Dr. Turone Lodog. She's a founding member of the American Board of Physician Specialties, the American Board of Integrative Medicine, and the Academy of Women's Health. She was elected chair of the U.S. Pharmacopeia Dietary Supplements Botanicals Expert Committee. Her books include Women's Health in Complementary and Integrative Medicine, Life is Your Best Medicine, and Fortify Your Life, Your Guide to Vitamins, Minerals, and More. Lynn Siegel produced today's show, Al Wadarski engineered, Dave Graydon edits our interviews, B.J. Lederman composed our theme music. This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. Their formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial, connecting people, plants, and planet to create healing. More information at GAIAherbs.com. And by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory and Focus is made with a special blend of ingredients that work together to promote attention and support long-term memory. It supports five areas of brain performance in one capsule. More information at cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,343. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. That's where you can share your comments. Our interviews are available through your favorite podcast provider. You'll find the show on our website on Monday morning. At peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter to get the latest news about important health stories. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thanks for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, 
please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.